Hello, you're listening to Boots and Heels. I'm Becca. And I'm Lizzie. Join us as we head across the country, busting some farming myths with some familiar faces. Hello, wherever you're listening from. We're here today in the snowing side of Yorkshire. So your host here today, Lizzie and Becca. And we're going to be talking about the really important topic of diversity in the industry. So we've got two fantastic guests with us today. To start, we've got the none other than Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, founder of the Black Farmer Company, to talk about his experiences within agriculture. We also welcome Ben Theo Andrews, who touches on representation, sexuality and organisations such as Agrospect and and what they're doing to support differences in agriculture and hopefully how we're going to move forward. This is a really important topic that Becca and I are passionate about and we want to encourage people from different backgrounds, different genders, different races, different sexualities to get involved with farming because it is it's so important to represent different people. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today, Wilfred. Um, As many of our listeners know, your career has always revolved around food, flavours, farming. So moving from TV to now owning your own farm, what is it really about food that is the root of everything you do? Well, the root of everything that I do goes back to my childhood. Now, um, to give you a bit of backstory, I was actually born in Jamaica and I am of the Windrush um, generation. And um, I was born in a place called Clarendon Frankfield. And if you went there today, you'd see quite a lot of subsistence farmers that worked the land. Now, you all know the history. People like my parents had the opportunity to come to this country. But even though they came from a rural background, they went to where where the work was. And that happened to be in in, in the cities. And Mm -hmm. in my case, that was Birmingham. We were very, very poor. And I'm from a family of 11. And we lived in a two up, two down terrace house. And um, in in a way to supplement the family income, my father had an allotment. And this is where my story begins, because I can remember that this allotment really became my oasis away from the misery of living in a place like um, Small Heath. So I can remember that I made myself a promise at the age of 11. I was 11 years old and I made myself a promise that one day I would like to own my own farm. Most people will know, and this podcast goes out to the farming community, um, that farms are handed down through the generations. But if you're an immigrant, you've got there's nothing handed down to you. You start from scratch and land is very, very expensive. So you, 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 you don't have the money to buy it. And then if you want to rent land or lease land, that's almost impossible because it's a bit of a closed shop. And so one of the things I'm trying to um, um, advocate is that how can we open it up so people who are not from farming backgrounds can get an opportunity to really get into sort of farming. Yeah. So that for me is one of the big issues with the with, with the whole system at the moment. It's a bit of a closed shop. The only way you could get in is if you happen to make sufficient money so you could buy land. But for anybody else, it's it's very, very close. And that needs to change. Yeah. 
And I guess that ties in really well with your concept of flavours without frontiers. Um, and I guess this is something which basically shows that you nor your food, or I guess probably the whole industry, um, it shouldn't be confined by any prejudice prejudices. Um, and I guess why would you, well, the question is, why would you say it's so important that food production and farming as a whole is accessible to everyone? What are we, what are we missing if we don't? We're in an industry that needs to change. Yeah. The- basis of of nature is we know as as farmers that you have to have diversity if you do not have diversity if you don't rotate your crops if you have inbreeding you're not going to have strong crops or strong animals so nature tells us that diversity is 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 crucial so why is it human beings do not abide by that rule and don't understand that the most diversity of thought, diversity of people is going to make us stronger. And what has happened in the past is that um, a lot of people in the farming industry have been able to be lazy. And laziness has come about because of subsidies. So subsidies has been the the thing that has caused a lot of laziness. I have subsidies, okay, for land for doing nothing. Now, I don't really need subsidies, but I get it. Now, I think the fact that subsidies are going to be eventually phased out is a good thing, because what that will do is that it will keep in the industry those people who really want to come into the industry. And also, what I'm hoping for is that there are going to be openings in for people like you, Lizzie, for people like me, from people from diverse background, because what we need to understand is this, that for us to exist, we need to get urban Britain on side. You know, if you don't get into the mindset of how urban Britain operates and works, your minor will lay down and die. It's no good just sitting to your old farmer's mate and sort of, you know, whinging on about the bloody town is we need them on side and therefore Part of what we have to understand is that we need to understand their mi- mindset and then learn to understand what is it they, they want and they need and how they could then help them. So how could we encourage that then, Wilfred? How can we encourage, um, you know, diversity in the industry? Do, does it need to be um, out there more, more accessible? Do we need to be talking about it? Should it be farmers, consumers? Where, where how? Well, What's what we need to do is this is that the farming industry needs to be sexed up. And um, the, the, the reason I use that word is this, is that um, when I started off, I started off in the catering industry. And because I left school without any qualifications, I'm dyslexic, catering was seen as where all the stupid, thick people go to. It was not seen as a uh, an admirable profession. It was the culture of the celebrity chefs that made it into a very sexy profession. Now people will actually want to choose that as a career. Farming has exactly the same problems that catering had back then. And what we need to do is that we need to sex it up that anybody thinks, wow, I want to be a farmer because actually farming is a lot more interesting. There's a lot more about it than than we actually see. So I couldn't agree more. Honestly, from somebody who's not from a farming background, I, it wasn't necessarily ignorance that I didn't understand what was in, in agriculture or what farming had to offer. It was more of just that we weren't educated. We weren't told about it. It was, you know, it was the, um, the low skilled jobs, you know, when actually there is so much, there is innovation, there's creativity, there's engineering, there's science, there is 
so much like career opportunities that I do feel we need to be encouraging this and as you say sex it up I really do believe that's what you've got to do you've got to make it sort of exciting for young people to think I want to become a farmer because I want to be like Gordon Ramsay or I want to be like James Martin or Jeremy Clarkson at the minute well, at the moment, you so said Jeremy, Jeremy Clarkson is 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 a start, but he's still the old brigade. You know, I think what we want is that we need exciting young people who are a bit um, different. And, um, you know, Jeremy Clarkson is a man that was able to, you know, go and buy thousands of acres. So it's not a very fair uh, model. And I want to see that it's easy for young people to go and lease land. You know, the thing that I um, that people do not know is that a lot of land out there are owned by big institutions and the big institutions are just lazy. They just get their land agent to go and actually lease it out to the same people. And those people, those um, um, enterprises need to be challenged about actually what are you doing to get more diversity to, into farming? I would be saying to the likes of the, the, the National Trust, the likes of these universities that own land, Dutchy, all these big institutions that own land to say a certain percentage, a certain quota of the land that you have available should be actually be available to people from diverse communities. And when we say diversity, people don't need to get worried and think it's just about colour. Diversity is people who are new to farming, new entrants. Part of the responsibility should be to these landowners. And it may be there needs to be some tax incentive to say that is part of your responsibility in order to encourage new people in. You have to allocate a certain portion of your land to, to, to these sort of people. That's how you're going to bring about change. And that for me is the, the, that that's what sort of excites me. And actually, probably what we're missing by not being as open as we possibly can is is skills. It's a new way of thinking. People come in from a different background or, you know, even if it's because they're from the city or because they're from a, a business where, you know, things are more kind of maybe profit driven or efficient or whatever. And farming's missing out on this opportunity to change its way of thinking, which actually it can be a very backward and entrenched way. I think, you know, people would forgive me for saying that on here. Um, that it's, some of it's really entrenched and and not looking like change in some areas. It is entrenched, and, and and I think again, there are certain industries that have got away with not changing because they haven't had the pressure. You know, change comes about by British consumers demanding. You know, if you look at the big thing at the moment about you no know, plastics, that came about by consumers demanding that change. The fact that we now have free-range chicken and free-range products in our supermarkets. That's been based on the consumer. Now, all I'm trying to say is that for those of us um, in, in this industry, we get our act together fast because, you know, we are suddenly going to start finding pressure coming from British consumers that are going to demanding more from us. And so they should. And one of the reasons why farmers have really haven't got their act together is because of the supermarkets. Because the, the British consumers do not have a relationship with the people who do all the bloody hard work to produce their foods. They just don't have. Basically, it's the it's the supermarkets that have that sort of relationship, and that is what we need to ch change. I would like to see farmers' faces on every goddamn pack of produce. That when we could get the consumer engaging with the people who are actually producing their foods, that is where we're going to be bringing about change. Because what it's meant 
is that farmers have not had to learn about consumers, what consumers are like, what they don't like consumer data. That's what that's all the information that the the retailers have. What I'm saying, that's allowed us to get lazy. That's not that's allowed us not to understand what's going out there. If you change that dynamic and say, right, actually, we want farmers now who it's not just about growing the sort of products and then that's where your relationship ends. It's about understanding the, the consumer and by understanding the consumer, you could then innovate, bring new things um, to market. One of the things I talk about is this. If you look at this massive diverse community we have here in, in, in the UK and the, 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 the millions of millions of pounds worth of um, imports that come into this country, of foods that could be grown in this country. Um, these And these are things that I'm talking about um, that um, people from India or from the Caribbean would, would, would eat and consume. Those things can be produced here. But because farmers haven't got a bloody clue or they're not aware of it, we're importing that stuff. If we then had people from those communities that were able to um, rent or lease land, they could grow those produce in this country, get employment, and actually bring more diversity. So that's the sort of stuff I think we need to get people to understanding. It is crazy in our country when all we're doing is commodities. If it's going to be easier for them to produce things in Poland and 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 in Russia, where they've got vast ways of land where you just switch on the bloody machine and it you know goes for miles, we shouldn't be competing with that. What we should be doing is that we should be actually specialising. The mm -hmm. thing that makes us great is our animal welfare, the way that we produce our specialism is what we should be focusing on. And if one thing we need to learn from is the French, you know, how the French have protected um, their specialities. They, no one could call sparkling wine champagne unless it's made in a particular region. We need to start thinking and behaving and really seeing our specialism as something as value rather than just becoming commodity um, dealers. And part of part of the farming community, the problem is the traders. You know, they, they, they have a trader's mindset. And that for me, the moment you have a trader's mindset, you're not really into innovation. You're just interested in making the next book. That sort of, I, that needs to change. And I think it's new blood that is going to bring about that change. So talking about new blood, Wilfred, you um, have actually launched a scholarship um, aimed at um, young people from kind of more urban and inner city communities. Um, and it gives them an opportunity, um, well, to kind of immerse themselves in rural life, I guess. Um, so tell us a bit about the scholarship and, and you know, how, how people could get involved if they're listening from, um, you know, a, a non-farming community. Well, it's been a while since I did that. One of the things that I wanted to do in terms of encouraging new people into farming is to give people hands-on experience of what it's like to work and and live in in rural britain and unfortunately seven years ago i had acute myeloid leukemia and so that sort of knocked the stuffing out of me so i haven't been able to do hands-on um courses but it is something that i'm still keen to um to be involved in and one of the things I would like to see is these agricultural colleges getting their bloody act together and um, allowing or putting on um, schemes, putting on programs, putting on courses that are specifically tailored for people from urban. It's not just people from um, diverse backgrounds, but people from urban Britain to have a chance to actually 
train to learn about um, the, 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 the professions that are available in, in, in rural Britain. I think a lot more could be done with the agricultural colleges. And that's the challenge I would be giving them is that what are they doing to actually bring about diversity? And again, they're lazy. Do you think there's a bit of a gap between kind of like or, or almost the transition from school to a college, for example, that it doesn't necessarily. I mean, I know a lot of people who I know have gone to our college because they work on a farm already or they live on a farm. Do you think we can push more in the kind of years building up to whether when you're deciding what options you take and what college or university you go to? Is there a gap there as well? Well, yeah, I mean, again, it's back to the thing I said earlier on, is that inbreeding is not good. And if you've just got the kids who are going to the agricultural colleges or kids from farming backgrounds and farming communities, you're just actually circulating the same stuff. And it's, it, it, if you take me, for example, I'm not from a farming background. I'm from I'm from the ghetto in 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 Birmingham. Now, a lot of people scratch their heads and they think, how could this geezer who only ha I only have 30 acres, you know, as long as I got thousands, I've only got 30 acres. How could a guy that has 30 acres, a little small holding in Launceston or just outside Launceston, create a brand called the Black Farmer and it'd be a powerful brand? Now, you know, that's because I have the thinking and the mentality of the outsider. And it's outsiders who see opportunities that they think about doing things differently. And that um, if you are trapped in, a, in, a, in, in the thinking of how things uh, are done, you would never have the audacity to think um, and to come up with ideas that I have done on very, very little. So I'm a great example of what one could do on very, very little. That's because I'm not I'm not trapped by the thinking of the old um, traditions. And I think that um, part of what I would be doing, it's about how it's, it's not about really encouraging um, um, people from farming communities. It's how do you get people from um, towns and cities going to agricultural colleges. They're not certainly going to do it. Yeah, it, completely. Well, you know, Com you, what, you, yeah. what you need to do is probably have a scheme where, you know, every year they go and work on a farm. You've got to you've got to have people having experienced it. So by the time they then come to choose their exams, they've actually um, had some sort of experience of it. Wouldn't you agree, Lizzie? Honestly, Growing up at school, we never learned anything. I think the most I ever learned about being on a farm was what sound animals make. And when it comes to my options in um, secondary school, agriculture was never th never a thing. Honestly, hand on heart, I didn't even know ag colleges existed. You know, even if it wasn't just... I, do, I wouldn't want it to become an option at school that everybody thinks is the... For the for the kids who who aren't necessarily academically inclined, I think... You know, agriculture has plenty of options for people who are um, very academically able, but also for people who are more um, hands on. And actually, whether it's just, um, you know, ag, um, how do I put it? Whether it's ag businesses that are giving briefs to um, some of the creative departments, you know, art departments, um, computer science, whether that be media or whether it is actually, you know, we do, we had work experience. I think it was in year 10. And nobody ever said, do you want to go and work on a farm? 
do you want to go work at you know a robotics company or do you want to go out and um learn about innovations it was just not a thing and I think we need to be talking about it I I just don't understand why it isn't and I think it's just a lack of education you see what I think is happening is this the world is changing and I think both of you are in a fascinating period of our history because one of the things that we need to all accept is this it's only well a couple of hundred years ago um formal education did not exist the way that people learned is by apprenticeships or watching how people actually did things, watching things. Now, the reason why education suddenly became very, very important, or the way that we educate people became very important in, in the sort of 19th, 20th century, it's about actually how then do you um, get um, a group of people who could sort of manage? And, and when people who are academic, it's pretty simple. Academic people are left-brainers. They're able to absorb in a lot of information and then regurgitate that, that information. Now, the problem that all these left-brainers are going to have is this, that in with, and so the people who had very highly evolved left-brains talents, you know, they get their degrees, their diplomas and all that sort of stuff, did very, very well. And everything was geared towards going to university, being academic, because that's how you'd get on to be a doctor, to be an accountant, to solicit all this, that's all left-brain professions. But we now live in an age where you could go on Google and find out more about your medical condition than your consultant knows. That actually, we now have computers that could actually gather information. We've, you know, under farming, we've got bloody robots that could actually do things that normally human beings um, um, had to do. So the future belongs to those people who are more right brain, those who are more conceptual, those who think outside the box, the things that machinery, that computers, that artificial intelligence cannot do. And those things will involve touching, feeling, um, sensing. So the people who have those talents evolved are the ones where the, the, the future belongs to. That it's not going to be just looking at a spreadsheet or, 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 or reading data. It's going to be able to actually um, use these other senses to actually help us um, innovate and, and evolve. And so what I would be saying to anybody who's going through any educational scheme now, that's the sort of skills that I'd be looking at. So being a farmer would be the number one thing at the top of my list, you know, because anything else, it will be taken over by computers and, you know, artificial intelligence. But when it comes to actually growing things or rearing things, that for me is where the future is. Interesting. Okay, so you've obviously been awarded um, an MBE for your contribution to farming. Congratulations. Um, How does it feel really to be recognised for your work Um, with your alignment, you know, with supermarkets and raising money for charities um, which support the black community? Well, look, the, 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 the most important thing is this. Okay, I don't want any of your listen to think, listeners to think that all I'm here doing is supporting the black community. I am not. One of the things I say to everybody, the black farmer brand is not an ethnic brand. Yeah. Um, and the amount of times I've had to say to people, look, we're not a, I'm not a bloody ethnic brand. I'm not Levi Roots. Levi Roots is an ethnic brand. It's all about sort of celebrating Jamaican or Caribbean culture. Mm-hmm. The, the black farmer brand is celebrating British 
um, farming. That's why the whole logo is me carrying a British flag. The whole thing is about supporting British yeah. produce and British farmers. It happens that actually I'm very British. So um, you've got a new venture hopefully coming up, which is going to be um, an inclusive space, um, which well, obviously celebrates British farming, diversity, um, well, everything that we've talked about. Um, so what is the plan for this? When do you hope to be building it? Um, and yeah, what's it going to be about? Okay, so my ultimate dream is to have something that I'm calling the Black Farmer Experience. And this will be a destination where people come from all over the country where they can say, oh, we must go to the Black Farmer Experience because there there'll be a farm shop where you could buy absolutely wonderful local produce. There'll be restaurants that cook absolutely local um, wonderful foods. There'll be conference centres where people could actually come to be inspired. The whole purpose and the whole meaning of the Black Farmer brand is to be inspiring people. There'll be a wedding venue there where people could actually get married. And this is not just people ordinary marriages. It's about anybody who um, thinks outside the box, anybody that is different, this is where the home um, would be for you. And so I'm looking for the right venue, the right partnership. You know, if there's any farmers out there who would be interested in being part of this, I would love to hear from them because the first thing is finding the right location. Yeah. And, you know, because it's going to be a destination, I want it to be a sense of arrival. I want people to feel as though they're coming into something rural. Okay, so thank you so much for um, joining us today, Wilfred. We do have one more question, which we ask all of our listeners, and it is just a bit of a fun question. Would you say your team boots or team heels? So team boots being um, out in the field, out um, farming, or team heels, as in um, someone from a non-farming background and maybe working more office-based? Where would you say? Let's put it this way. I like both. Ideal. Well, okay. thank you so much, Wilfred. say thank you uh, for joining us today Ben. My first, first question today is just to um, ask you to tell us a bit about um, your life growing up and, and growing up on a farm and how well what sort of a unique lifestyle that brings. Uh, yeah well I, I grew up on the farm we're on now um, so born, born 1981. Uh, we've always been a mixed farm but sort of the enterprises have changed quite a bit uh, throughout the years, my great grandfather moved here in the 30s, uh, but we've been farming in and around the county for. Well, I've done done some research go, go back 300 odd years, probably longer than that. Yeah. Um, so pretty pretty well ingrained, and you know, with all the benefits and downfalls of of being a long-standing family farming family related to most people I meet in Herefordshire um but yeah it's uh it, it yeah i think growing up i think a lot of people don't really appreciate um quite what an incredible upbringing it is being on a farm um and i probably probably took it for granted and and as i grew up didn't wanted to distance myself from um being a uh, being a farmer really it's um it, i just felt that i needed to to get out of 
get out of the country and and go to the big city and and you know, find myself there because you know growing up you know I knew that I was gay from a pretty early age you know if you're you know straight you know about the first sort of time you start fancying girls or whatever and wanting a girlfriend yeah it was a similar sort of thing but it was something that you know you had to you didn't really didn't really know about it um just didn't really know it was a thing because nobody talked about it um and yeah it just uh, it, it was just something that was just put to the back of my mind I had to be because um you know um <laughs> section 28 during the the 80s and 90s where schools weren't allowed to talk about anything other than a nuclear heterosexual relationship um and so so yeah the whole concept of of being gay was just yeah just wasn't it just wasn't there because you know there's no one really in the in the media either um no no um like tv stars sports stars you know it was always usually quite negative stereotypes when they were portrayed in in um tv or film so it uh yeah um yeah grew up just pretending to be a normal <laughs> a normal in uh, inverted commas there uh, um farmer's son um until i finished my levels and that's when i came out I think it's a really interesting thing with you mentioning kind of the way that your family's been really rooted in agriculture, because sometimes I'd say, well, unfortunately, probably fairly often coming out as gay doesn't fit in with the idea of the heritage farming through the generations and that real being rooted in in one area. And it's it's quite a a kind of a stigmatized um, thing to do. Um, So, you know, being gay and fitting in with farming sometimes just doesn't doesn't actually work which is obviously a really negative thing what we're trying to raise a bit of awareness about um but it's a shame we're still at that stage and, and it's i remember um you know after after i came out and some sort of hearing some conversations and, and i think in hindsight um some of my family and, and and friends probably could identify people who had you know much older farmers who had been always been single or who maybe suffered with mental health problems um and look back on it and thought actually yeah maybe maybe they they were were lgbt too maybe they you know, and they just didn't feel that they you know it was the right environment they could come out and i've been incredibly fortunate incredibly fortunate really i mean we have had some some fallings out um don't you know don't speak to to my uncle anymore but um 99 has been very positive uh, which is which is not something that everyone else has the benefit of i think um we're speaking about you know coming out and um almost having to to announce your sexuality um i think both in and out of agriculture there seems to be this real expectation for you know lgbtq plus community to to come out do you think we should be working towards a future where really you don't need to do that it shouldn't need to be announced it just is yeah well i mean i mean that's that's the thing i mean it's like how you define coming out i mean for me you know it wasn't just a singular event it has been a constant thing for the past well 
you know, over 20 years when people ask you, have you got a wife? No, I haven't. I've got a husband. Um, and and you know, various, various questions where they just assume, um, you know, if in a conversation, you know, <laughs> don't don't ever feel the need to to just introduce myself. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm a gay farmer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it, it's that it, there is that um, um, yeah that that just I guess people just take it for granted. You know that they're they're talking to someone like themselves. But it's you know and and to me it it doesn't doesn't bother me that as long as like you know but I'm now in a position where I can correct people. I can say I've got a husband, but if you had asked me this 10 years ago, I wouldn't have felt as comfortable. And I would have replied using gender neutral pronouns. So as not to give away the the gender of my partner. Um, I would have, uh, you know, I would have avoided any sort of conversation that, that revolved around relationships um, purely because it, you know, I was worried how people were gonna gonna react to that. Um, so, so, so yeah, it, I mean, it, w- it would be it would be amazing to get to to that point where people don't need to. But and I, I think it, you know, from a not just from a stranger's point of view, meeting people, but but from a family point of view, you know, this expect and we said about the the idea of um, um, sort of multi generational farmers and and it being passed down through the generations. I think there is this this expectation that you will um you know marry the the farmer's daughter from next door in the next door farm and 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 have like loads of beautiful grandchildren for your parents um and and uh, you know at some point you do need to to break the bombshell that it's probably not going to happen like that um and and I think yeah I think more and more people are coming around to the fact that you know, this this is this is, this is life and and there are a lot more of us out there um lgbt folk out there than than people probably realize um so yeah just just trying to be be visible be seen and so so that everyone you know other people can maybe get a bit of confidence that i didn't have um just you know after i came out so Ben, you mentioned um, your husband. What was your experience of finding um, love like in farming? Obviously, it's it's quite a well known thing that farming is a pretty unsociable um, kind of a job. So then, if you if you tie that into um, well, adding in the stigma of of being a gay man looking for love as well, how did you find that? Yeah, I mean, it's like you say, there's not there's not that many folk in the country at the best of times. Is there? it's not like a big city, a big city, and um uh, so you know it's very early on in the in the days of like internet dating and stuff and and just really struggling to find anyone around here um and i'd you know spoken to my dad and and you know he said you know don't feel don't feel that you have to be a farmer you don't have to do it you can go and you can go and do anything else and so i thought well okay i'll go to london get adam you know see what the fuss is about um uh the big the big bright lights and i went down there worked for a company that um, did food and drink marketing and pr that you know they launched like small startups like you know if like farmers are diversifying that we had like some someone who was making sheep's milk yogurt um crisps as you know various different different foods they're trying to like break into the to the big time so when we're there, because yeah, you know, I should be the only person, you know, no one else in London really knew anything about where food came from. Um, 
so yeah I was only there for 18 months before I was sick of it but luckily I managed to pick myself up um pick myself up a uh a partner on the way um that was yeah we met um over 15 years ago now wow that's yeah, amazing and, and, that, and, and managed to he he'd been in London since he was 18 uh studying medicine he'd had enough of it wanted to move back out to want to move out to the country because he's from East Yorkshire originally and yeah yeah moved back moved back to Herefordshire and have a look back that's so lovely such a nice story mm-hmm. and interesting that you um kind of wanted to get away from your roots and explore the city and see what it was all about and then and then kind of came Still back revert back I think yeah. people people do find that don't they there's there's a massive tie to agriculture and as much as you can explore other things for a bit and as you say experience the city and the big lights there's often a draw which brings which brings people back I know that's yeah. the same for me I've had a few job different jobs now but I've obviously come back to the farm and you know you do feel very at home there and it's a it's a nice feeling to have that you've got something like that to come back to and it's I think it's massively beneficial you can pick up so many other skills working in other industries um, meeting other people looking at the world a bit differently yeah I Although I wouldn't go back now, I wouldn't. Ch- I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, I think I learned learned a lot in in very short eighteen months. But yeah, definitely worth it. Fantastic. So, do you sometimes find then that agriculture can stigmatise sexuality more than other industries? Um, it's tricky because having not really worked in in other industries, then um, probably probably not the best best place to um to comment on that but i would you know if, if we're talking about um so versus the arts you know things like that then then yeah definitely but i think probably if you're talking you know the building industry um you know other fairly male dominated workplaces then I think, yeah, there's there are there are you know, issues with being LGBT, but then also um, you know, being with being just a, you know, a woman. Um, I know plenty of people in the agriculture industry who really struggle with with you know, who you know, women who are farmers in their own rights. They're not farmers. They're not farmers' wives. Or, you know, not or, or you know they are the farmer, and they get sales reps, whatever, coming up saying like, "Can I speak to your husband?" They get letters addressed, dear sir, um, and so there's yeah, there's there's I think there are lots of things that that are probably done on a subconscious level. Um, I, I I don't think I've felt it personally on a um, on a discriminatory level, apart from like I said with my my uncle's family. But I will say that um, there, I mean, you've probably seen it on the Facebook um accounts if uh, as soon as any mention of agri specs on there or, or sassy Ferguson, and you've got everyone tagging their mates um going like oh you wouldn't see me dead in that tractor um it's like oh yeah massey ferguson drivers are all queers and stuff like that and it's just it just oh it's i mean like for me i, I don't care what people say um to my face i'm i'm confident uh, and happy enough where i am but I still get messages from people on a regular basis on Instagram 
who are who are struggling and yeah. these are all ages i mean these are these are people who are you know youngish kids of 18 just leaving school right the way up to people in their 50s and 60s and it's 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 a shame that people still still feel feel like that and feel that they can't be themselves mm-hmm. and 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 i think a lot of this this rather childish um name calling just i mean it just doesn't help anyone it's not even funny it's like come yeah. on guys there's just be, be a bit more original with your humor um you know the whole sort of like oh you're so gay um some playground taunts which i don't think were even that funny uh when we were 10 yeah um but it's um yeah in in terms of of discrimination i think for me someone as someone who can you know put on a shuffle and a pair of shimo wellies or something and you know do my best job of looking like a farmer I think there are people who maybe don't fit the mold of what people assume a farmer should look like. And then they get, they will get um, treated with suspicion because of it. And I think that happens a lot with, with new entrants to farming as well. Um, Everyone else in the, uh, in the LGBT community, like trans people, like, yeah, my life is so much, so much easier than anything that they've got to deal with um so yeah and they they need a voice as well they you know they they have it like i said they had it have much harder much harder job of being accepted um and i'd almost say it's for me like look i'm in such a privileged position um so yeah we're, we're tenant farmers here um, but generational tenancy, I get on with my parents. I'm in partnership with my, with my parents. I haven't had to come in to agriculture from the outside. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I haven't, I'm not a, I'm not like, you know, haven't got to worry about getting bullied by fellow colleagues. If I'm just, if I was just like, you know, if I was a farm worker, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's given me a lot of, uh, privilege and I guess that's that's why you know I feel quite like there's some sort of duty to try and just talk about it as much as possible um and raise these raise these issues because because I guess because I'm you know fairly relatable um because because I am like I said a white middle class male farmer um people probably listen more to what I've got to say than someone someone who doesn't look as much like them mm-hmm. um, and do you do you think, particularly with stigma surrounding a, a lot of kind of kind of let's say minority communities, whether that be race or gender or sexuality, do you think the industry can be quite inaccessible? I mean, it, it's probably hard hard as you say, even if you fit all of the you know as you say white middle class male to sometimes even get into the industry. But does adding you know, some some other kind of you know a different sexuality or something add a really different slant on getting into the industry. I, th- I think it does. I think it's really um, Matt Naylor, uh, who was who was chair of the, uh, the Oxford Farming Conference back in twenty twenty. Was it or was it twenty nineteen? I can't even remember now. It's so long ago. Um, he uh, set up a really good um, fringe event there about. 
diversity, inclusion, and combating polarization. It was really interesting in listening to how all humans are tribal and we um, we you know, we like to have our little groups of people and we, we have people that we think are like us around us and then people from outside people who don't maybe look or or, or sound you know they're not like us we you know they're they're considered other and we treat them with suspicion and it's yeah it's really interesting that that I think that is what happens a lot. I think if you're considered an outsider, and and yeah, I think everybody who ever moves to, moves to the country from the city will feel the same. Um, there's always the the danger of you know, feeling like the outsider, and people will treat you with suspicion. And you need to win them round into showing them that you have as much, if not more, in common than you have differences. Um, and and I think that's the I think, I think we need to, to work towards um, towards realising that and, and, and working towards finding common ground rather than this polarisation of, of just cancel culture and arguing. And you know, that's why I stopped using Twitter. It just like, and I find, find myself getting in arguments and I hate getting in arguments. Uh, and it just, it's one of those things where it just amplifies it. And and I think that yeah, we need to um, maybe look be a bit more open minded in terms of of new people coming into into the industry because we need them. We really need more people coming into the industry. We've got a huge skills gap. There's so many different. I think people think you know, assume that agriculture just means farming, but there's so many different roles within the agriculture industry that need filling. Um, Need, we need those bright young minds coming in and and also retaining them we need to to you know keep people in farming who are who are who maybe don't feel welcome here um keep them in stop them stop them running away to the city yeah i think that's such a an important point i mean i'm not personally from a farming background but i fell into the industry around four years ago now and just fell in love with it um, mm. And having that kind of, um, it was a real eye opener to see what the industry has to offer. You know, there is field based work, but there's um, creative jobs, there's engineering, there's innovations. And I just think that's really important to, to make the industry inclusive. Definitely, definitely. So you mentioned um, earlier, Ben, about um, the Massey Ferguson and AgriSpect Pride in Farming tractor competition with Sassy Ferguson. Yeah. So, um, Farmers Weekly did a lot to support that. You know, we did quite a lot of articles and followed um, the story and helped promote it. What do you think it's like for people to see kind of well-known brands champion diversity? I, I think it's it's hugely important. Uh, the Farmers Weekly have been super supportive of AgriSpect right right from the beginning, and it's very easy to maybe censor um, coverage of AgriSpect so that it doesn't upset certain people. And I know that when, back when we first did the first Pride March in Brighton got someone got very upset and wrote a letter in and it was published and and i'm just super glad that farmers weekly have stuck with us because there are um 
there are people who who won't agree with it and they will support various brands and if the more people who who see these big brands supporting diversity it not only um i think it not only supports the people who maybe are struggling um to think that you know oh you know well, these guys these guys have got my back um but it, it, it hopefully it makes other people think maybe maybe i am the wrong side of history maybe maybe i am a little bit little bit old fashioned um and we need to sort of keep having that conversation in a in a rather um grown up way rather than uh completely shutting people down mm-hmm. but i think one of the one of the important things about about big brands supporting um pride and lgbt issues and diversity as a whole is the danger of going down the corporate pride route where they will only do it as long as it um as long as it benefits them and you'll get it a lot uh with you know, people just like chuck a let's just chuck a rainbow flag on it and um and appeal to appeal to appeal to the gays and get them to spend money on our brand there's more um, to it than that there is more exactly there, exactly, you know? exactly yeah yeah absolutely and and that's you know when it's just empty words and they only want to be associated with you for you know a month one month of the year um and and i had a bit similar similar conversation with um a mate of mine um flavian who's a black pig farmer and said that you know people just seem to only want to talk to him during black history month um and you know it's it's you know racism or discrimination or anything it's, it's not only an issue for one month of the year yeah you know, it goes it, yeah. it's it's something that it, you know, and, and the thing is like it goes back around to this, the the concept of coming out i mean it's not something that we're not nobody's asking for special treatment nobody's asking you know for to be to be treated any differently it's about equality and it, it's always it's sort of amusing when anything like that gets gets about agrospec gets pushed put up and then the comments on a facebook post will be full of of stop ramming it down our throats and things like that it's like well it's it's not really i mean you, you there's like a hundred thousand um posts social media posts of of like you know one farmer proposing to his fiance by spelling out will you marry me in bales in a field and and you know you know that's that's that that's not um i don't feel that is pushing the straight agenda down my throat at all it's it's just something that that is just you know people just getting on with their lives and you know like i said agrospect isn't looking to be treated people aren't looking to be treated any differently just want to be treated the same and actually don't want to keep you know, you know having i mean it'd be great that we didn't need to keep having this conversation because i feel i've like I feel I've had had this this diversity conversation so many times, um, and yeah. But while there are still people who are who are struggling with it, and still people who think it's wrong, um, got to keep talking. 
the more we do talk about it, the more we can raise awareness. And I think what you mentioned there about the comments on social media, the comments on, on you know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, I, I think from um, something I've really noticed is um, when seeing these, these comments, I actually had a message through from um, a guy in farming who was really um, upset that... Um, you know, Farmers Weekly had posted um, about Sassy Ferguson, but not because he was angry. He just, he was a gay farmer and he was concerned about the comments and the impact on, you know, mental well-being. And the more we had a chat, actually, he um, he ended up messaging the next day and was like, actually, do you know what? I'm really, really, really glad that you're supporting it and I'm really glad that we're talking about it and you know I just hope that we get to a point where we don't have to be um you know deleting comments or worried about worried about what people say and, and for me it was a real turning point to hear that to hear that he was yeah. you know had to think about it and go do you know what actually we should be we should be doing this it's it's it, it is so important because there's um and like I find myself doing it for, for quite a few years where you just, you, you feel like you have to, to live um, sort of like the socially acceptable. Um, um, so sort of, sort of being, being the, the socially acceptable gay. Uh, so where you, where you don't, um, you never talk about it and you, you can stand there. Um, you're listening to all your mates talking about, about you know, various girls they snogged or whatever at the, at the weekend, um, but but they never ask they never ask you about your relationship. They'll you know, if you ever wanted to to you know, talk to someone about it, you know they wouldn't want to talk about it. And it's it is this um, unless you can be your totally like full self, authentic self, and you're always holding something back, then um then you're not you, you you're gonna that's when you're gonna be having the mental health issues if you're constantly watching what you're saying so as not to yeah. um so so as not to to like you know upset people because <laughs> you know and and people people will say oh um oh i can't say i can't say puff anymore i can't you know this political correctness gone mad it's like well you know we've had to to watch what we've said for such a long time just because if i say my husband instead of my partner i'm in danger of upsetting someone um and and it's it's so important that we just people can like bring their full selves into the agriculture industry because that's when that's when we work best i mean if, if you're i know um uh people working in you know whether that's in you know, like big agronomy um firms or you know where where you've got big teams and, and you're, you're working in offices or whatever and these things you, you come back after the weekend oh what do, what do you do at the weekend and just not being able to join in in that conversation is it you know, can really you know, hold people back in the workplace and I think what you was oh gosh, my voice went there. I think what you were saying as well about um, you know, wanting to kind of engage with minorities at certain points, different months, you know, whether it's um pride or whether it's 
um, Black History Month or, you know, you do tend to, I don't know if if you've come across this, but quite a lot of people I've noticed tend to say, um, well, why, why can't we have a, a straight day or why can't we have a day celebrating men or, you know, when it's International Women's Day, for instance. And I think what a lot of people forget is actually you know, your white middle-class straight man has never had to fight for his rights, you know? It's, I mean, there's, 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 there are still people in this country getting beaten up and occasionally killed just for holding hands with someone of the same sex. Yeah. Um, there are so many countries, many of them um, still in the Commonwealth, where you can still be imprisoned or executed for being LGBT. Uh, I know we have it pretty good here, but it is by no means. I mean, it was in my parents' living memory that that you could be you could be arrested um, for being gay after the after the Second World War, um, when all the, the the Jewish people were released from the concentration camps. The gay people weren't. They were re-imprisoned by all the allies who freed them who who freed everyone because in every country it was still illegal so these are these are these are things to remember and and there's so much stuff that i'm married now but i'm only i'm only recently married because i've only recently been allowed to get married and and then you know it's, it's for so many important reasons for people to be able to have that um you know next of kin being because if you have fallen out with your parents through coming out and you want someone to be your next of kin who is not your parents then until fairly recently that just wasn't an option so it's um yeah there's there's we've had to fight really hard to get to where we are and there's a lot of people who have given a lot more than i have to get us to this point um but but yeah it's yeah it's by no means over homophobic race uh, homophobic hate crimes have increased like insane amount in in recent years and um yeah it, it's just it, it's something that we need to to keep remembering and that's why we we need to keep having pride is because as soon as we forget and we get complacent then yeah it's quite easy things can quite easily start slipping in the other direction and and like you know, pride can be a great wonderful wonderful occasion um will penry evans uh one of your one of your columnists came along to pride with us with his family yeah. it's great it's awesome to have to have allies there because i think they're the ones who make the real difference is when people who have no reason to upset the status quo who can quite happily um go go along with their um with their their conventional heterosexual families um but if, if people talk out if, if they speak out about it then then that for me that is one of the one of the greatest things that, that someone can do um so yeah big big respect to will i guess um as you say then there's there's practical considerations, there's kind of mental health considerations, there's career considerations when you're having to, you know, as you say, come out or enter the industry or if you're already there. So for any of our listeners today who might be um, 
struggling with their sexuality in in a rural or agricultural community what would you what would you say to them uh i'd say there's there's um a couple of places you can go um there's the gay farmer helpline um that's a that's a, a fantastic resource where you can go to and that they're, they're proper counselors if you feel you need that level um of help um the fcn um farm community network uh brilliant brilliant organization um or just drop us a message on agrospect uh either on the website um or instagram or whatever and and yeah just because it's you know agrospect we're not really a it's not really a club or a, or a group or anything it's also fairly fairly nebulous and we but we'll we'll meet up at, at various events and honestly it is when I first went along to Brighton Pride a couple of years ago and just being able to just being around so many other people who have so many shared life experiences, it was the most yet yeah, unique, unique uh, day in my life. Um, so yeah, uh, those are probably the best, best places to start. Okay, perfect. I think, yeah, I think hopefully that well it'll give some people some hope who feel very isolated that there are organizations out there and there's ways to there's ways to get through it you and know talk about it yeah exactly because it'll sometimes seem like you know the mountain is just too big to climb if you're as i said in quite an isolated place or you know or your family aren't as accepting so yeah it's great to know that there there are people out there to help but um our final question which we do ask all our guests um is are you team boots or team heels i, I don't know I, I i i'm a big big fan of my where do trainers come in because when i'm not when i'm not working i'm i'm a i'm a trainer kind of guy We'll um, go. You'll we'll so, be in the middle. Okay. <laughs> awkward. So, so awkward. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Thank you so much for that, Ben. That was brilliant. Lovely to speak oh, to no. you. Lovely to speak to you too. Yeah. I genuinely hope that this episode opens up conversations that are still needed to, to happen. Yeah, definitely. There's still work to be done. I mean, by the sounds of it, we're definitely going in the right direction. Um, but hopefully, we're you know, the only way is up with this and, and inclusivity in the industry. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much to everybody who has listened today. As always, you can find us on social media at Boots and Heels UK. Yeah, please give us a like, any reviews, following us. It really helps us to get the message out there. We'd love to hear if you have any stories or any experiences of diversity in the industry. Yeah, it would be amazing to hear from you.